Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Tiffany Drayton is the author of Black American Refugee, Escaping the Narcissism of the American Dream. Tiffany is a mother, world traveler, and journalist whose work has been featured in the New York Times, Fox, Marie Claire, Playboy, Salon, Complex, Yahoo, among other outlets. She has published two nonfiction young adult books called Developing Political Leadership Skills and Coping with Gun Violence. She grew up in the United States and currently lives with her family in Tobago, although actually when we talked, she was not living in Tobago, but you'll have to listen to understand what's going on. Welcome, Tiffany. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your absolutely beautiful memoir, Black American Refugee, Escaping the Narcissism of the American Dream. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you about it. This is such a unique memoir because not only do you tell your own story and your own escape from a narcissistic relationship, and thank you for all the information about what that is like, that particular brand of abuse for the many people I'm sure reading it who need to know what that is, but also how you apply it to American history and culture and all. I mean, it's so interesting the way you interwove those narratives to make America actually the narcissistic abuser as well. Really like a brilliant 
way to do that. Anyway, I thought it was beautiful and you're a great writer and I'm so glad that our paths intersected, especially through Sue Shapiro a while back. So um, anyway, why don't you tell, that was a lot, but why don't you tell, tell listeners, I guess, a little bit more about the book in general and when you decided to make this a book? Yeah, you know, you say that was a lot, but it's it's like the story is so layered that it, it's a lot, you know? So that was like a perfect description. Right around the time of the murder of George Floyd, I sold an essay to the New York Times. It pretty much told the story of me deciding to leave America to kind of get away from all of the racism and, and the turmoil. And uh, in that essay... Sue Shapiro, <laughs> who always tells me what to do next. She's like, make sure you say you're writing a book. Make sure you say you're writing a book. And I'm like, but I, I'm not writing a book. She's like, yes, you are. And so I put I put that I was writing a book. And um, as a result, then I got an agent and I worked on the proposal immediately. And within maybe like a month, we sold the book. Oh my gosh. So what happened after your article came out? Yeah. So as soon as the article came out, I got an agent right away and I and I sold the book. So it was probably maybe like a, a month between the article coming out and the book being sold. And really that was like a testament of two things. A, how much I had learned about writing proposals and stuff as a ghostwriter. And B, having great mentorship from Susan Shapiro. You know, she, she, she was like, listen, get on it now. And, you know, I would have never thought to like work so fast, but she was absolutely right. So that was really great. Wow. Well, you start with growing up and growing up in America as a black girl, your mom, who was trying to elevate herself in the world with her different jobs and working so, so hard and having all these setbacks. And I mean, I have to say, by the time we got to the end where she was safely with you guys in Trinidad and Tobago and like... I mean, that I, I, it brought tears to my eyes with her calling her friends. And, oh my gosh, the, your mom is, I, your mom is amazing, basically, as she you is. well know. But anyway, you, and you go through like the financial crisis and what happened when you moved to Florida and having to move back to New Jersey and your tiny bit of an okay kind of grace period. Tell me a little bit about those years and even what it was like having to think back and write about them and maybe analyze them now with the framework that you have as a you know super smart adult who can make sense of some of the issues that happened in the past. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I decided to incorporate the idea of narcissistic abuse into the book, I didn't really know how it would interplay with my life story. And so I was like, you know what, let me just get something on the page. Let me just write the story. Um, let me pick the most poignant moments of my life and just kind of write it out and see what happens. And after I did that, I gave my draft to my sister. And my sister was like, you know, I think you can just put like each part of the cycle of narcissistic abuse as the chapter of the book. I mean, I'm, yep. I mean, as the name of the chapter. And that's when it really occurred to me. I was like, wait a minute. This is the thesis actually stands because it works just by applying like these labels, all of a sudden it's like, I saw how that cycle had been playing out over the course of my life, whether it's first arriving to the country and having all of these narratives, you know, be told to you where it's like, America's the land of the free. You just have to work hard. And, you know, you get told about, you know, that the, the Thanksgiving between the the pilgrims and, and, and the native Americans and how lovely it was. But in reality, it was like, you know, genocide, you know? So it's like, you always kind of go through this, this cycle and you don't even note it. notice it. And it was only really when I applied these labels to the different parts of my life story that I was able to see so clearly how the cycle of abuse was indeed playing out over the course of my life and my relationship with America. 
Wow. So the high level, how is America a narcissistic abuser? Yeah, you know, narcissistic abuse really has elements that are unlike other types of abuse, or especially in the beginning, everything is about love bombing. And you you sell this, you know, perfect narrative where you're made for each other and where, you know, it's like God sent. Everything is, you know, God sent. And it really reminded me of like Manifest Destiny and how God was used as like a, a reason for, for the expansion of America westward. And, you know, and then it eventually the cycle moves you into being devalued. And, you know, as a little Black girl, I encountered that, whether it be through imagery of Black people in the media, whether it be how, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, there was always, like, some ridiculous court case like the Central Park Five or Black people being referred to as, like, welfare queens, all types of ways that Black people are devalued. And then eventually, the discard phase, which is when you're just kind of thrown to the side and it's like, oh, this person isn't important anymore. This person doesn't mean anything anymore. And, you know... uh, the easiest way for people to understand that are systems like mass incarceration or even for myself being displaced by really, really terrible policy like what happened during the crisis when in Florida my family was forced to move as a result of, you know, being priced out of neighborhoods and and rezoned and, and the financial crisis impacting Florida in the way that it did. So, uh, you know, that cycle kind of perpetuates both in your individual life and as you analyze the history of the United States of America and its relationship with relationship with Black people, you kind of see it play out in that larger relationship too. Wow. It's so interesting. You also have, as one of the parts of the abuse cycle, what happens when you try to leave, right? And how that just enrages, because essentially it's the narcissist has had some injury to done to their self, that they, Mm. their self-perception, that they just can't they can't like live with. And so they self-aggrandize and right. And then when, when you try to really shake that, they Mm -hmm. cannot tolerate it. And it's sad because though the book ends where it ends, the part that I'm living out now and it's insane, you know, now I'm stuck in America. I'm a stuck parent because my ex enlisted the court system to start this whole custody fight over my kids And um, he pretty much went to court and said that I kidnapped my kids. And so as a result, I have been stuck here since November. I have not seen my kids. What? Yes, yes, yes. And I have been exposed to the failure of the court system. And not only that, but I now, it it, it has really reinforced my, my, my thesis because it's like, how can someone go to court and sell blatant lies and continue to terrorize a human being. And, you know, a lot of people tell me, they're like, when you think about how America views the rest of the world, it's like, why should these American kids live in some island? You know, it's not safe, you know? And I've heard so many of these narratives play out over the course of this case that I've been dealing with. And even like, like financial abuse, when you start to analyze the family court system and you look at like how a person that is technically a poor person, you know, my, myself, even my ex, we are still not rich people. We're still just struggling to get by. And yet you have to throw out tens of thousands of dollars to fight in a legal system for your children. And it's like, one of the scariest continuations of a pattern of abuse that even I could have never, ever, ever anticipated, honestly. Wait, so the book, I mean, can we even talk about how the book ends? I mean, it's not like a a nail biter, essentially, because I feel like your theory is like up and you say in the 
you know, you say even in your bio or whatever that you end up leaving America, which I think is so interesting too, because you did it. Like you not only left your relationship, you left America, you left all the patterns, you left all the places that were, that were getting you down. And like, I, I just felt like you were so victorious at the end, like you did it. And now to hear this is like so crushing. I, I mean, I literally can't believe it. So he said you were, can I, can I ask you more about it? He said you were kidnapping them and then you were forced to come back with the kids. Yes. And then he took the kids away. They, well, they, yeah, because the borders have turned out were closed for a while. And so I couldn't travel. And so now it's been two, three years that we've been locked into this custody dispute. And of course, because they ordered the kids to return, I wasn't living here. I didn't have an address. So they gave him custody of the kids. And since then, I have not been able to see them. He has just withheld them and they do nothing about it. And I just don't see my kids. Oh, Tiffany, that is the most tragic thing ever. How are you, de- how are you dealing with that? It's horrible. I mean, what there is there anything? Do you have a lawyer? You have a good lawyer? I mean, it's just it's lawyer after lawyer. It's oh my gosh, constant. I am sorry. so sorry. No, it's terrible. I can't even believe he got away with that. Wait, first of all, who? First of well, all, because they're they're saying there has to be a trial, but he does everything. He he never follows any court orders. To date, he doesn't follow court orders, and they just postpone the date of everything every time. They don't enforce any of his court orders ever. So, like, you know how you have to hire, like, a custody evaluator and pay, like, a retainer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He hasn't done that, and they've done nothing about it. It's been it's been since November, and they've done nothing about it. There was a hearing scheduled for, like, I think it was yesterday. And so I asked, so what happened in the hearing? Now I'm not even able to, like, attend them. So I just have to ask the lawyer, what happened? And the lawyer's like, oh, it's been postponed. So it's, like, constant postponing, 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 postponing. Do you get to talk to them, the kids? Yeah, there's like a, a court order that I get to talk to them like every other day for like, you know, how much every time. And most of the time he doesn't even follow that court order. Oh my God, this is so awful. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm so... You get dragged back in the fight and back to the argument about narcissistic abuse. You know, once you try to leave the abuser, they get more angry. They throw so many resources behind making your life a living hell. And the only thing that has made this bearable is the fact that as a result of me writing this book, I just like gained a ton of like, uh, like the support group that, amen, you know, like a lot of women that are just like, you know, I've been through this, I've seen this, I've been connected with a lot of women who are fighting for, you know, women's rights and in, in the family court system and protecting children from abuse, et cetera. So it's like, now I'm locked in this new fight that I would have never even, like when I finished that book, I, I, I thought it was done. But I knew it wasn't done because like narcissistic abuse, it just doesn't end that way. It doesn't end easily. It's always like you have to completely fight to get out of the situation. And, you know, and, and, and a lot of the women that I, that I talk to have been in really high conflict custody disputes. It's typically with like a narcissistic type personality and they all tell me the same thing. You know, they've all endured years of litigation and it's unending, never ending. So it's like now we have to like fight for reform. And it's, it's unbelievable to me, honestly. The types of things I've been exposed to, it's unbelievable. I could never imagine this level of failure. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. So like, what can we do? Like, what can we do as a society? Like, what can we all do? Like, I was just at this panel last night about, there was a whole documentary about, you know, women and the failure to provide the supports, even just to have a regular working life as a mom and a woman and how the government has sort of failed us in that way, that without childcare and how it's just, everything is sort of stacked against us. And this is just yet another failure. I'm feeling like very down about everything. Honestly, it's like, where is the hope? How do we, how do we make, how do we affect change? I feel like the hope is in, just like I said before, like this community of women I've now been exposed to both A, writers and B, like advocates, like this year alone, Angelina Jolie went and spoke, I, I, I believe it was at the UN at one point about passing something called Caden's Law um, and, 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 and pushing the past VAWA, which is the Violence Against Women Act. Caden's Law, is, it's pretty much to protect women, I mean, to protect children from having to be with their abusers. And it's like, watching Angelina give that speech, it was like one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen. But it's like simultaneously, it's fantastic to see women fighting and see change as slow and as difficult as it is. It's like, we are mobilizing. We are are really supporting each other. And that's like the glimmer of hope. The glimmer of hope is that we are really, really connecting with each other and offering the support that I think 
you know, five, 10 years ago, five, 10 years ago, nobody was even talking about family court or talking about how difficult it is or being honest about how hard it is to be a mom even, you know, like, like my mom's generation, like nobody was talking about how hard it is to be a mom, how hard it is to survive this thing, but we are now. And so there's this level of transparency, vulnerability, and also like we have resources and we are our own advocates. And so that's the hope. That's the hope. It's not in the system. There's no hope in the system. I hope that's not true. <laughs> I, I really do. I, I hope that I, 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 I no that would be, that would be too depressing. It would just be too no, depressing. Not as it stands. We have to literally force it to become something that empowers us and protects us. We have to force that because it has never been that. You know, it was just the other day I was doing a panel for women and they were talking about the fact that women's rights have never been codified in the constitution. And that's something that they've been pushing for. Um, I think it's called ERA. They've been pushing for women's rights to be actually codified in the constitution because the constitution only refers to men. Why? You know, that's absurd. I would say at the very least, it should just, should just refer to humans, you know, but when I refer to men, well, you definitely need to refer to women. And it's like, this is like such a major step to get women properly protected and to have them have rights under the constitution. And so we're doing all of these fights that, you know, for my generation, I would have never, ever imagined we would be at this point with Roe v. Wade. We would be at this point. I would never imagine it, but nonetheless, here we are. And the upside, once again, is like, we have the education. We are committed to each other. We are supportive in ways we've never been. We're more honest. And that's the, that's the only saving grace, us, the women. Wow. On the other hand, that's really powerful. Yes, because it's, it's not just the women. I mean, look at us. There's so many of us. Boom, passionate, right? You know, when it came time for me to deal with this whole court situation and have to come back to New York, I had just become acquainted with like this group of women who were all writers. And one of the women was like, you know, what can we do? How can we help you? One of my girlfriends, um, she has this nice, this little apartment in New York City. She was like, you can stay here because she's upstate with her, um, with her family. So fortunately, I just got this whole community to rally around me and just, you know, like. In all honesty, I could never have imagined how terrible the fight would have been and then how beautiful like the sisterhood is simultaneously. So it's like my life is like extremes, like the extreme of the beauty of seeing this awesome community kind of blossom out of nowhere. And then the reality of a fight that I could never have even thought that this is where I would be as a woman, as a Black woman, as a young Black woman. How... Did your ex respond to this book? Like, how were you able to even write about him? He hasn't said anything. Well, because it's true. <laughs> no, I know, but, you know. So fortunately, he hasn't said anything about it. He, there's wow. nothing. I mean, I, and it wasn't the first time that I wrote about our relationship. I had written about, I had written some essays in the past. And ultimately, it's like, for me, it's not about just a conversation about my ex and how, you know, and, and even the abuse that I encountered dealing with my ex. It's not, it wasn't even a, just about that. It's really about using that story to a, educate women and educate any victims of abuse, male or female, and so that they can be more familiar with the cycle and make sure that they're not getting entrapped in anything like that. And then simultaneously to call America out and to demand better because like without swift intervention, like this thing will get worse. This, because, you know, as I say, you know, about the unmasking, it's like people don't recognize like 2020 was a year of unmasking for America. Like the whole world saw so many failures of 
whether it be protecting the rights of Black people with the murder of George Floyd, or whether it be protecting the, the dignity and the health of, of its citizens with the pandemic. It's like the failures are so glaring now. And as a result of being in that moment where you're seeing the unmasking and the perception shift globally of what America is, that's when, for me, the people need to recognize it's their responsibility to make sure that America does right by them because it's going to do everything to protect itself. Like uh, these failed structures are going to do everything to protect themselves even as they've been unmasked. So we need to really make sure that we're like trying to organize and, 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 and have accountability and, and make sure that we're safe. It makes me want to like start a whole new government. Yes. Like, yeah. what, like what if we just, what if we created what, what it should be? What if we like rewrote the constitution, restarted mm-hmm. it, pretended like, like we just woke up on this planet and here we are, like, how would we craft it today? Yes. And these are the conversations that, you know, so many people are starting to have because it's like, you know, the, the piecemeal, the, the, the piecemeal change is not sufficient to address the scale of the issue, whether mm-hmm. we're climate, the climate crisis, whether we're looking at the, the healthcare system and, and how it's in shambles, whether we're looking at the family court system. I mean, the family court system is failing me and has failed women and children, not just because of like the patriarchy, but because these people are actually overworked and there isn't the capacity to deal with the issue in a way that's like, you know, whatever system has been erected, insufficient to actually address the issue. And so knowing that now, I, I, I can't tell people, you know, oh, just go vote or just do that. No, no, no. We need to actually be organizing to create entirely new systems or to call these systems to task in a way that will offer major change because that's the only way we're going to address this moment and have anything worthwhile to hand to our kids. Well, you are a great leader for this. You know, I'm serious. Like you might not have wanted to be, but this is, this is where you have landed and it's, you know, it's where you're meant to be. You're going to, you can like make so much change yourself. It's really inspiring. Really. I try to explain to my mom because, you know, my mom has been so heartbroken. I bet. Sorry. No, it's terrible. This whole thing is so terrible. I, so where is she? Is she still in, in, where is she? She's in Trinidad. She's still there. And what about your sister? She's there too. But I had to, I had to make her leave because she just couldn't deal. I was like, you cannot be here because every time with the court, she's expecting that it's like, okay, well, I'm here now. I'm in New York. I've been here for months. She's expecting, oh, they're going to let us see the kids or, you know, she'll get to see them. But every single time it's always a delay. It's always like awful. And it got to the point where I was like, mom, I, I can't deal with how you're feeling and how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. I can't do both. And I'm like, you know, aside from that, it's like my book is coming out, like everything. It's like everything. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. This must be devastating and exhausting and it's awful. And I'm just my, I'm so sorry. It's like an exhausting and empowering and angering and every freaking thing. If I didn't feel these things, if I wasn't forced into this predicament, I wouldn't honestly feel the drive to meet the moment. And I'm grateful for that because, you know, I would say comfort breathes a certain level of like, you know, you allow yourself to be more complicit and and even ignorance. In ignorance, there's so much 
and how we are not treating other humans as humans and how we're not protecting children and how we're allowing a houseless population to just explode. It's like so many things that we allow as human beings once we have comfort. And so this disruption of my comfort has been so eye-opening and like as terrible as it is, the other side to it is like that necessary anger, that that fire under your butt to like get up and do something, say something, anything, like anything. Wow. Well, if there's one thing listeners can do, it is to buy this book <laughs> to help you out. Black American Refugee Escaping the Narcissism of the American Dream. As a first step, if you are responding to this conversation, that is step one is to get the book, read more about Tiffany and how amazing she is. What is the second step? What else, what else is the most valuable thing people listening could do? What do you think? The most valuable thing is to really, to really sit with the lessons of the pandemic and to really analyze what we want from our individual lives moving forward. Because there's been this push to go back to normal, right? But we need to redefine what we want normal to be. We can no longer return to what it was before. And each individual within themselves has this more beautiful, well-rounded idea of normal as a result of being exposed to the pandemic. And they're letting that vision kind of fade away with this anticipation of things returning to the way they were. But I just caution people not to do that. Like stay with that feeling of what it meant to not have to travel to a job every single day, like demand the right to actually have more time with your families. Like these are the things that are going to drive us to making the necessary change that we need in this world. It's like the humanness, the love, the family, like refocusing on these things. And once we do as individuals, I feel like that's going to create just this wave of change in the whole society. Wow. Tiffany, I am, I'm going to email you after this. I, my heart is just, I'm, I'm, I want to see how I can help and what I can do. And anyway, you're lighting a fire under so many people. And I hate that it's taken this terrible, tragic time in your life to do it, but I'm impressed at how the grace with which you're doing it. Uh, thank you. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing and, and giving, giving writers a platform, giving moms a platform. Thank you for your, uh, advocating for my book. It, it was really, really amazing to see the article that you did. It was just like really touching the roundup. I was like, oh my God. So. <laughs> it's my pleasure. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.